The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. ISTE is right around the corner and Classcraft has something to share. Stay tuned to the podcast and keep your eyes on Twitter to see how Classcraft is going to once again change the way school is played. To learn more about Classcraft and get started on the road to the most fun you've ever had at school, visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. Who cares if it increases engagement if you're not meeting learning objectives and facilitating instruction? Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss the reasons why teachers adopt ed tech, why college enrollment is going down, whether or not gaming disorder should be diagnosed as an illness. And our guest this week is a phenomenal educator and speaker, Michael Bonner. How about those Raptors? Oh my goodness. They pulled it off, man. Actually, they destroyed them. They wasn't even. I didn't even think at one point they were that Golden State was even in the game. Huge game one victory. Let's go Raptors! <laughs> I'm super pumped about the game one victory. Uh, the Raptors played incredibly well from start to finish. It's funny. I let I let Isaac stay up. Um, and, and watch the whole game. He didn't have school on Friday. So um, Thursday night, he was up till like midnight. Uh, and he was like, you know, sitting on the couch over over there. And, and he was pumped. Like they had a they had like a 10 point lead with a couple minutes left. And I'm like, no, you don't celebrate anything yet. <laughs> this is the golden. Like, I mean, they drop they drop a couple threes and it's, you know, they're right back in it. Right. You never know what can, and this is golden state. We're not talking about, we're not talking about the crappy, we're not talking about the Milwaukee bucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 10 points in a second that could happen. So I was like, no man, they got to play the whole game. And (laughs) even the last couple minutes, you can't take anything for granted with these guys. And they did that. At least I, I think that, you know, I was watching really hard that last minute and a half that, that they didn't take their foot off the pedal because I, I was worried that, you know, with 10 point, 10 point leads pretty good. And in the regular season, a 10 point lead would be pretty locked, um, locked down. But I mean, in the finals against golden state, I don't think you, I don't think you take your foot off the gas at all. Anyways, super pumped. (laughs) about the game uh game two is game two is tonight and listen listen man i'm gonna uh, be watching the, it i don't i don't you know i don't think they could uh game one i that was the most lethargic version of golden state i've ever seen uh so many turnovers uh, curry looked horrible mm. uh i mean they they looked that way out of sync which is i mean i think was their uh toronto's defense was actually super frustrating them so yeah 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 so We'll see the game two. If they can keep that kind of thing, you're right. They might have a chance to win. They might have. Oh, they might have a chance to they win. They might have a chance to win. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not betting on them. I I would still say four games in a row could still happen again now, man. You got four games one- in a row could totally happen. But do you think four games in a row could happen for the Raptors? No. No Not way. even close. No, man, they're going to wake up. It's it's kind of one of those things that a team like that, they've, they've actually just been cruising through all the playoffs. Yes. They lost their one of their best players. Eh, I don't even know if that really even has that much of an effect. A lot of people do think that it has a huge effect. I mean, obviously, yeah. Kevin Durant's the probably the second best player in the whole league. Um, yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. I think they actually play better without him. So we'll see how it actually works out for second I think game. He's, I'll watch it. I think, he's, I think he's back for game three. You think so? Okay, I, rant, yeah. I think they only should play them if he's actually fully healthy. Sure, because he yeah, no, he totally. needs to be himself. Yep. Cool. Uh, so chat chat on it. <laughs> chat on education this week was pretty awesome. Uh, it was busy. There was lots of fun conversations. It was probably the busiest chat on education we've had. It was pretty close, anyways. Uh, talking about AR and VR. Um, you know, it was a good it was a good chat, right? Uh, absolutely. A lot of people very interested in the topics of both augmented and virtual reality, the devices. Uh, we got all kinds of people that have never actually participated in the chat, and hopefully that yeah. continues because those that's really what we want. It's just a discussion to happen and maybe some questions to be asked, some questions to be answered, some resources to be shared. That's what it's all about. I'm, I'm experiencing some serious FOMO here with, uh, with Steve and 
uh, Jamie and and Game all Boy of these Drew. other <laughs> Andrew, all of you got your Oculus Quests, and I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs. And you were um, the guy that has every all the games. I have all of the things, <laughs> right? Uh, and I had a I had a Rift. Yeah. Now it's like I regret getting rid of it. You know, I couldn't have used it with them. I don't have the space for a Rift, but with the Oculus Quest because it's untethered, I can go down into the living room, which we have tons of room in the living room. Sure. And and use it down there, and it it's now we can get back to it. And so you're so, saying you're, so you're going to do it? I'm doing it, yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. And I think I have buy-in. Uh, one of the one of the things um, I'm I'm selling. I, so I have two Xbox Ones. Uh, one is in my office here, and one is in Isaac's room. Um, so I'm selling um, the one I have in the office here. I never I never really use it. Um, if I want to play Xbox, I can go into Isaac's room and play his. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna sell that uh, a couple games, couple controllers. I should get me about two or three hundred bucks Canadian, and then um, then you know the quest I think is five fifty Canadian. So I'm in, man. man I, I'm going I'm for gunning it. For, I'm gunning for it. Hopefully by the end of sometime around July, uh, I'll be able to to get it. And uh, and after I get through all of this nonsense with us traveling and, and then you you'll know, actually going... be able to use it yes right exactly. yeah yes. i'm gonna be gone like basically for the next three weeks straight after next week so uh no time Don't need to be... now <laughs> right no not at all so uh, lots of interesting articles uh came up this week that you know we talk about some of this stuff pretty often so this is this is another one here why teachers adopt ed tech and why they don't and we've talked about this before um, there's a great quote in it that I pulled out and put right into the outline. I could probably count the number of tools I tried out and tested. That number would be in the double digits. And the number of education-specific apps, services, and software I actually used consistently, those I could easily count on one hand. Exactly what we've talked about before. Um, Absolutely. When we had Diana McGee on, we talked yes. about vetting ed tech and how teachers pick up all of this stuff or try all this stuff or set up accounts for all these things and never or get bought a whole bunch of stuff. Yes. And never actually use it. Right. Yes. And I, I think this article really hits home the key points. Number one is anytime you're talking about ed tech, whether it be a actual physical tool, uh, some sort of thing like we were talking about VR, AR. Is it going to help you meet learning objectives? Uh, the other two main points on this is, will it increase engagement? That one, I think, is usually what people lead with. And I think you would agree with Mike, is people are looking at engagement as the number one thing. And they're like, okay, cool. Then it's going to help. Uh, learning will happen no matter what because engagement is there. And that's right. not necessarily the case. Right. Um, and then the other one is facilitate instruction. I, that's really re one of the reasons why I always, you know, you you throw out certain tools that you're really, uh, that you really love. It's one of the reasons why I like uh, Nearpod is it facilitates direct instruction and it helps this, the the teacher to basically uh, know what the students are do are know, do know uh, with formative assessment right on the fly. And as a teacher, you can change up your lessons, be able to include everybody in them. And that's the kind of tools that I really love is the things that you can tell do all of these things, help you meet the learning objectives, increase engagement, and facilitate instruction. But if it can't do that... You probably don't want to buy it, especially you don't want to buy it in bulk, you know, right at the beginning and just invest hardcore into something like that. So you're right. We've talked about this a lot and and we will continue to talk about it as we go through. Even when we start talking about specific tools, if we don't feel like it's going to really make that big of an impact, we're going to say it, you know. 100% because the, the thing we have now is an ecosystem of educational technology that is really well developed and established. It, this isn't like 2010, 2012 anymore. Uh, you know, the ground has shifted on this so much in the last seven to nine years uh, that, you know, we have, you know, the Google apps for education, you know, all of those apps. We have Nearpod. We have some of these apps and tools are super well established and what that means is that some of these other apps that come out when they when they come out they're having a, a much harder time establishing a foothold because they're trying to break through against apps that are already really well established but i think the point of that is you know in context of this article is that 
you know, if you're developing a brand new application, you better bring it. Like you better be a really meaningful, you better bring something new and then be able to show that your app will, you know, increase engagement. It will meet learning objectives and it'll facilitate instruction. Yes. You, you have That's to be minimum. able to hit all the uh, minimum. Yes. And you have to hit these three things. And it, I mean, there are a lot of these new tools and stuff that just simply don't do that. No. Um, and and to be honest, there are really well-known tools. I mean, this adds a whole other layer of complexity that there are all of these tools that we even know and love and use. And, and Minecraft might be a really good example of this where it absolutely can increase engagement. But if you're not using it right, if you're not doing it Great the right points. way, you're, you're who cares if it increases engagement if you're not meeting learning objectives and facilitating instruction? Yep. Yes, we know that Minecraft increases engagement. We know that games-based learning is the best way to get your kids' attention. But if you're not going to use games-based learning in the right way for the right things at the right time and in the right context, you're not doing anything. You're not solving any problems, and you're certainly not teaching well. And that goes right back to what you always talk about too, Mike, which is we need to be trained. We need to make sure that as educators, we need to be trained on how to best use these tools. Like you'd say that because this is the connection. This is the missing thing. It's like Minecraft is amazing. Yeah, but it's not easy to no. use as a tool. It's actually really, really complex. It and might be one of the hardest tools to use and do well. Yes, and and it, it takes a an investment of time. It takes an investment Huge. as as an educator. It takes a, a, a it is quite a bit of a learning curve, even yep. within your students too. Uh, them adopting that as far as the game based learning kind of you know, pedagogy. But in the end, the biggest thing, as you've stated before, and you continue to state is we need to make sure that we receive the proper uh, professional development. It can't be yeah. one time. It's got to be continuous, ongoing, and it's got to be specific to these things to make sure that we continue to work on them. You know, basically formative assess our ourselves, our, our educators to continue to grow in the profession and in using these tools. Otherwise, we're just throwing some stuff out there and hoping that it does it does good, you know, and that's not a good way to 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 teach or to be a, a, an institution. Not at all. Um, the second article: Why is college enrollment going down? Uh, pretty interesting article. Uh, lots of interesting numbers. Uh, you know, lots of states are hitting big drops. Uh, four to five percent drops in enrollment in places like Illinois, North Dakota, Hawaii, Kansas, Florida, uh, New Hampshire saw a 10 percent increase. So, I mean, there's some really interesting numbers here. But, you know, I think that there's a lot to say about why student, you know, enrollment is going down in college and university and it's got to have at least something to do with the fact that when you exit college or university you have a hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> in debt which is friggin ridiculous it's so disgusting and gross and it doesn't surprise me actually you know what it shows me though that this uh, generation that's going out to potentially be in at a university, potentially go into this right. thing that are not going because it says three hundred thousand fewer students are are going to be attending uh, right. than they were last year. They're educating themselves, you know, about like what are sure. their options. They're saying, okay, what are my options? I can do this and accumulate basically debt because I don't have the money to be able to go ahead and pay for this right at this moment. Or I can do these other things to go ahead and develop some skills in a variety of different things. It's not this the the I guess the misnomer would be that you think that these people are not going to go do anything or they're going to go directly to work. They could. I mean they could, but a lot of them I think are going to be trained in other ways. Uh, maybe they're going to develop some specific skills in an online format, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, apprenticeships or whatever, and they're not going to accumulate that gigantic debt at, the, you know, at the end of their training at the end of the thing. And then they're going to be ready to go ahead and go into the work, uh, into the workforce. So right. it's a very interesting shift that's taking place. I think it has to do too with what Don Wetrick was talking about that whole, uh, it's funny because I was thinking about Don Wetrick at the exact oh, same time. Yeah, as yeah, you the, the gig economy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So basically, the emergence of the gig economy, I think, yeah. huge impact on education at the university level. And we've talked about this before, I'm sure, on the show. I, I'm almost positive that we said the universities are going to have to adjust 
their the way that they you know uh, give out degrees and i thought more it kind of like associated with what noah talks about too geisel as far as badges and certifications and micro credentialing that's mm-hmm. going to have to be included at university levels for someone to be interested in that i can go get my micro credentialing in specific types of coding in a six-month program and then i will be placed at a specific university Mm-hmm. That will get you some students to be able to start coming in. So I, I think it's going to have a gigantic impact, both the student loan debt and then the, the emergence of the gig economy. The third article we came across this week is gaming disorder and illness. And the uh, what is the health, the health organization, the World, World Health, health yep. the World Health Organization <laughs> has just um, certified or I mean, whatever the hell you want to call it, but <laughs> said that gaming addiction or gaming disorder they call it gaming disorder which is dumb but that's a weird I mean, name too. I, I i actually get this a little bit that they've called this an illness but maybe in a different slant i have a different perspective on this maybe um then the gamers gamers are going to share this article and say this is stupid you know it's all about personal responsibility everything can be an addiction blah 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 that's that's like the the common counter argument to to gaming addiction from it's typical from gamers um but one of the things that people a lot of people need to remember is that these things are built to be addicting they are built by experts who are professionals at creating addictive experiences that's their literally their job if a game wasn't addicting no one would play it and then you wouldn't you wouldn't have a popular game and if you're trying to sell games your job is to make it as good as possible so that people want to play it all the time so i get it it's the same way social media is an addiction i mean we we know for example and there's been tons of research about you know, even why the number, your notifications, that number is red and it's red for a reason. It's not, it could be Try orange, it could be yellow, yep. it could be blue, it could be whatever the hell color you want it to be. It's red for a reason. It's red because it's part of the addiction. It's part of the dopamine kind of hit that you get when you see that people like your tweet or, you know, um, hit love on an Instagram picture or whatever. It's part of that, um, that constant um you know uh experience of being liked and that's part of the addictive nature of social media i think if they if i don't know the answer to this but if they haven't certified for example um social media as an addiction they better be getting on that next because it's the exact same thing as gaming addiction i would i would agree and the only part that i really find disturbing about something like this is that someone can then weaponize this uh, this type of you know research, especially if you read deeply into the article, we're talking about a very few percentage that are actually classified it that have this you know gaming disorder. Yeah. Yeah. So so what people do though is they use something like this in a quick clickbait as far as gaming disorder, right? And then they use it to basically say, hey, we should ban all games. All we should do bad. this. This yeah. is horrible. Blah blah blah. Uh, and if you get to an extreme point of anything, it's really bad. It can really have a, a devastating effect, and that's what this article talks about. But it also 100%. says that this is not a common, you know, a common occurrence. It's a, a, a small percentage of people that are Very apt. Small. They're apt to go ahead and have this specific thing, and we've got to make sure, like you always talk about, we got to do things. Uh, to make sure that our, our kids aren't just always on them, that we limit the amount of time that they're working on things. And we do a variety of different things. And that's what we all try to do as parents and especially as educators, that we're doing uh, a variety of different things, not just one type of thing, especially we're not trying to get, you know, obviously our kids hooked on to video games or whatever it might be. So I just don't like when people weaponize things, you know, and, and this is, seems like something that people could latch onto and then use it in a different sense to be able to go ahead and you know give attributes to say hey we shouldn't do any of this stuff so that was my big take on it i was once watching a a show i i can't remember what the nature of the show was but it was it was talking about um it was a mother and a son and the son was um you know obese in in an unhealthy way and they were talking about health and and stuff like that and and the doctor it was a doctor that was interviewing the the mother and and he said does he eat healthy what does he what does he eat and she's like oh yeah he eats super healthy he eats like 10 oranges a day 
Ooh. And the doctor just looks at her and goes, are you kidding me? That's excessive. Eating, eating 10 <laughs> oranges a day is not healthy. That's bad. I mean, <laughs> and he had to go into this whole, like he went into this whole talk about how like anything in ex- excess is bad for you, including eating 10 oranges. That's that would be bad, dude. Bad. <laughs> That's so got to do a number on your stomach and your whole system. My God. Even, the acid in your mouth, how much it is? Right? Oh, yeah, a lot. Uh, Interesting. Brutal. Yes. And it's and it's like great story. I mean, I, I <laughs> right, and I I get it completely. That I mean, the the percentage. I I love the point that you you talk about weaponizing this because the percentage of almost of most addictions is super small, uh, you know, and and but there are there's certainly a subset of people who love bashing video games and love absolutely you know finding that evidence and there's that one thing that they can just hammer people with yes to say look all video games are bad this is why they're bad they are a scourge on society or whatever Mm -hmm. they want to say and it's just it's just ridiculous so i i can I, i i can acknowledge the idea that you know even the danger of acknowledging this as some sort of you know, big thing can be blown out of proportion as people are wont to do uh, sometimes with with stuff like this. Absolutely. When we come back, uh, summer holidays are starting up all around the U.S. And we're going to recap a great conversation we had on Twitter about summer break, quote unquote, and getting the question, it must be nice to have the summers off. What do you do all summer? So stay tuned. Do you have plans to attend the ISTE conference this summer? Come one day early and participate in the best hidden gem conference in the United States. Badge Summit 2019 will take place on the Temple University campus in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on June 22nd. There will be lots of wicked smart educators to collaborate with on topics such as digital badges, credentials, gamification, and more. To learn more about Badge Summit, simply visit bit.ly slash badge summit. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. So, Glenn, I have a question for you. All right. What do you got? Glenn, it must be nice to have the summers off. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do all summer? You're not doing anything. You're just sitting around. You have a pool. All teachers have pools, don't they? We all have pools. We all lounge around right? <laughs> from the beginning of the summer to the day right before workshops begin. What it's time com- do you start drinking what, what in the, the summer? Exact, it must be great. It's like you can chill, just drink all day. <laughs> chill and Netflix, the whole thing. Yep, exactly. Damn. So, no. Wow. Yeah. I just wrote that I really hated that question because it, it comes – and a lot of times I don't think people mean to be nasty about it, but it always has this tinge of like, oh – like, what do you actually do then? You know, and but some people you... are nasty about it. Oh yeah, some people are are for sure, and and it's just it's hard to to uh, get people to realize the that there are perceptions that you know we just chill out during the summer that right we still get paid during the summer even though we don't work. That's that one too. Just bugs be me. Nice. Bugs me Must so nice bad. Uh, but I feel like. And what I'm going to be, uh, and the reason why I'm be, I was even posting this is because I wanted to collect people's thoughts, which uh, there were so many good things that people wrote yeah. on just basically changing the perception of the public and making sure that it's clear to people and continuous, continuous uh, change uh, because it's not a one-time thing. I think we need to make the point clear to people like that the reality of, of what's happening in the profession and what their perceptions are, are two mm-hmm. different worlds. Uh, for example, that one about getting paid during the summer, all of us earn our money during the 180 some days or 190 some days, however many you work uh, prorated. during the year. Yep. Exactly. And most people don't get that, though. They don't understand that the district and even the taxpayer in in, in a weird indirect way is actually saving money by paying us on a 12 month basis. That's why a lot of unions actually have demanded that we have the option 
of getting paid in a nine month calendar uh, during the time that you actually work, and then ha- mm. then having the summer you d- you save your own money, you do whatever you want to do, uh, and then you can also have the option of doing a twelve month because they understand that if you invested that money yourself as a teacher, you would be making the interest versus the district uh, making the interest off that money that's just sitting there from the state or the federal sure. government. Uh, so it's a and- big deal that people understand that we get paid a per day rate. And yeah. it's, uh, you know, for us, it's associated with the salary grid, but that per day rate is for those 190, 100, whatever, 200 days that you actually work. You split it up and you multiply it times that number and you get your total salary. But for us, it's distributed among, you know, my school, 24 pay periods. Some schools only 12 pay periods, you know, one uh-huh. per month. Um, but whatever it is, you really earn the money. So they're just holding it for you as a good way of being able to describe it. This this is the first summer that I am getting paid in the summer. Ah, Remember, we've talked about yes. this. I, I, I am one of the rare Ontario teachers that didn't get paid during the summer. Yes. Every every public school board in Canada, I believe, in Ontario for sure, um, has this prorated pay system where you get paid during the school year. Yes. I worked at a private school that, uh, I mean, technically my contract was a temporary like almost like a seasonal contract. Oh wow! I signed I signed a contract every year that paid me that I was employed from September to the end of June. June, and then I was technically on paper I was laid off at the end of every year. That's crazy. I got a I got what when in Canada they call a record of employment. This is the slip that they give you when you're laid the off or you're slip. fired. Yeah, or we call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called a record of employment. <laughs> yeah. And um and actually for the first couple of years I went and submitted unemployed for unemployment insurance because you were so that I, unemployed. Yeah, I you had no money. I had no job. <laughs> Technically, I was unemployed. So this is actually the first year that I'm going to be earning an income in the summer. Mm. And we're excited about that. <laughs> Let me tell you. I mean, it's amazing because I'll tell you, I there are there have been like and um, just to add to that story, I didn't get paid until the end of September mm. because we got paid at the end of every month. Yes. So I, I had to go through actually a whole Another month, month. Of, dr- of driving to school and paying gas. And my, my commute was, um, you know, about an hour each way, an hour and 10 minutes each way. So I was paying a lot of money in gas. And, you know, you're buying lunch yeah, stuff for lunches and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I-, I was chewing my arm off <laughs> by the end of September, wondering how the mortgage would get paid. So, I mean, if, if you if you want to ask about why I do side hustles, for example, I'll tell you why. It's because I needed to earn income. You, need, you needed that money during the summer. Yep. In some ways I did. The distribution of that money is actually a very good thing for many, many people. And it's actually very good for the district, like I said. Uh, they actually, because they have that money stored as a whole, they end up yep. making a more interest on, on that money. And, and that's great for everybody in the end. Um, you know, it's just the perception, again, is that you're getting paid for not doing anything. And I hate that. The other one that I hate is Brianne Wechter, one of my coworkers. She wrote that she's been asked about her ACT uh, scores and her GPA and, you know, in high school and in, at the university level. And then they ask her the question, the ultimate one, why are you even teaching? You could have done anything you wanted to do. And her response is fantastic. She said, I'm a teacher because I love it and am challenged by it daily, which makes her grow. And she hates the implication that teaching is a less profession. You know, it's less professional. That's just, we have amazing educators throughout the entire country here and in Canada, throughout you guys' country, that are people that, yes, they could have done anything. But my goodness, they decided to go ahead and choose one of the most difficult fields to go ahead and be in, and they are doing it right now. And and then guess who's benefiting in the end? All of our students, all of our kids, and our countries are benefiting because we continue to bring up our kids and then give them the opportunities that later in life, because of an inspirational teacher, that they're going to have uh, too. Sure. So it's just awesome too. I, I love that. It reminds me, uh, this this whole um, narrative reminds me of the quote. Um, I learned it from a, a Taylor Malley poem. Um, Taylor Malley is a, is a, was an educator and a poet. But he references uh, an interesting quote. He, the, and I think I've said it on the podcast before, that, that whole, those who can 
do and those who can't teach. Yes. And that's like a that's like a brutal perception that's out there. Yes, it is. Um, it's saying that, you know, teaching is your fallback when you can't do that one thing that you've always wanted to do. We all know that that's I was just about to swear there. We all know that that's ridiculous. Uh, but, you know, there are lots of smart people out there that are teaching because this is what they've been meant to do their entire lives. Yes. And, you know, screw anyone who thinks otherwise, because that's ridiculous. There are so many we've we are you and I are blessed to know some of the best My educators in the whole entire world. And we've talked to some of the best educators in the whole entire world. And that is amazing. And you can, you know how smart these people are as soon as they open their mouths and start talking about, and you can, you know that this isn't their fallback no. plan. This is what, what they were born. Exactly. This is what they were born to do. There was a lot of good other quotes here uh, that, that we got. Do you want to go through a couple of the other ones? Yeah. Um, I like the one, uh, uh, Ivan Kaltman, uh, who is uh, active on our Twitter account, he said, he, he said, when we're doing something that students enjoy, and he said, and some staff member, or I would say even a community member walks by and says, hey, that looks fun. <laughs> that looks like fun. And it's well intended, but it implies that school being enjoyable for students is like the exception to to you know the rule instead of it should be the rule um and i think or that, that they're having fun they're having fun so they're obviously not learning I, absolutely and that has that happened a lot in my spanish class when we would be singing right. songs kids would be like uh we would be doing these little chants and clapping and doing some things and being kind of loud you know and a, 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 a bit maybe even obnoxious uh but the kids having fun and laughing about stuff laughing at ourselves laughing at me um and then people would be like, oh, you guys are really loud and like they look like they're, you know, having fun, but not like in a good way in the way that it's like uh, you're not really teaching anything, you know, like, you know, you're, you're having fun, but not really doing what you're supposed to do, which is just way, way off base. This one quote here um, from Will Carlson. I once had a guy at my wife's Christmas party asking a condescending tone, why teach kids? Don't you like adults? <laughs> and my response was, it depends on the adult. And I'm like, damn right. It depends on the adult. <laughs> adults are t are difficult. Yeah. I mean, professional right. development is super difficult. Uh, and so it's just so strange. I mean, that's just another one where I was just like, oh, good. I mean, I've heard that before. So that's what's that's what is uh, so powerful there, too. And then the, another teacher, Lindsay Simpson. Oh, you're a teacher. It must be nice to get paid to play all day, which Steve Isaacs responded to that. And he said, I do. I responded to that one, I too. I do play all day. And, <laughs> and then you responded to that uh, with basically saying that you play with robots all day and I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. My ultimate point about all this, and that's what I'm going to end up writing about, is is this, is the perceptions actually drive um, a lot of legislation, Sure they do. And not only do they they basically drive legislation, in our schools, as we've talked about before, uh, things like passing levies uh, or being able to pass things to be able to bring up our schools, whether it be building things or it actually be to be able to raise uh, you know, more money so that we can pay our teachers a better salary, whatever it might be, is are super difficult things to do. And a lot of it has to do with these kind of perceptions that live out there uh, just socially and it doesn't have to do specifically with social media because some of these things have lived way before the you know the advent of social media and and so it's our job though to make sure we clear up the air to be you know clear about it we don't have to be hostile yeah. about it but we can be like hey here's the reality just so you know I, I don't know if you actually do know but here's the situation and a lot of people you know the people that are actually worth it are, go like, oh, I didn't actually realize that. Oh, I didn't understand that that was the actual case about whatever it might be. And, and that's a good thing for people to know and understand, to hear the real stories about what are happening, the long days that people put in, the weekend work that people do, and the hard work that they do during the summer. You know, whatever it is that you do during the summer, obviously don't be ashamed of whatever it is that you want to do. Not at all. But there's amazing stuff that happens during the summer. I've seen so many people collaborating, doing all kinds of crazy things and thinking already. There's people that are DMing us right now, thinking of ideas about what they're going to do next year and how they're going to surprise the kids. And I mean, like stuff like that is is the norm. 
And that's what people mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. understand. It's not the exception. That's what people are doing. All of our educators are doing uh, as the year finishes, reflecting, and then during the summer, putting that hard work into what's going to happen next year and make my lessons that much better. Absolutely. <laughs> We're heading to ISTE in just a few weeks. Oh, man. It's coming up soon. That's crazy. Uh, Leading up to the event, we're thrilled to have lined up some of the great keynote presenters at this year's conference. And when we come back, we'll be chatting with Michael Bonner. So stay with us. All right, welcome back to the pod, everyone. In 2017, Michael Bonner appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and since then, nothing has been the same. Michael has delivered over 100 keynotes and breakout sessions to educators all over the world and inspired educators with a story of his own brand of music-infused education. Michael will be a keynote speaker at ISTE and joins us on the podcast today. Welcome, Michael. Hey, thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. So, Michael, we've told a lot of great stories on this podcast, and we've had amazing guests share their stories. But, I I mean, I'm telling you, I'm not sure there's a better story out there so than good. yours. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really want to spoil any of it in the question. So maybe you can just give us a bit of the history that's led to us being together today. Take as long as you want, because this is a wicked story. Um, so my name is Michael Bonner. I am an educator, teaching for about seven years now, going into my seven year of teaching. Um, and during my third year of teaching, I absolutely wanted to stop being a teacher. I was completely burned out. I was working at a school that is 100% free and reduced lunch. Um, we actually park uh, in, in behind barbed wire. The school is surrounded by barbed wire. There's a graveyard across the street. There's low income housing or houses that have sort of haven't been built up and, and intended to properly, man. And I was just at that point, like, I'm done. I remember in guided reading on being on Indeed.com, looking up jobs to see what else <laughs> I can do, right? And um, I just had this moment uh, where Maya Angela has this quote that you shouldn't just want to survive, you should want to thrive. And I just told myself, if I'm going to be a teacher, I'm, I'm going to like my classroom. I'm going to actually enjoy doing this and I'm going to put my heart into it. So um, that summer, man, I just took a lot of time reflecting and thinking about what can I do to switch it up and, and become better as far as an educator. And that year I had this amazing group of kids, 20, 20 kids, about 14 boys, six girls, <laughs> beautiful individuals. Um, and I taught them this test. I taught them this standard, 2RL.1, 2.1, which is the essential questions in second grade, who, what, when, where, why, and how. And I gave them this assessment, man, and only two out of 20 kids passed. And like every teacher, you're wow. frustrated with the data. Like, what is this mess? Going to the principal, <laughs> they can't read. I don't know what the issue is. And she said this jaw-dropping quote to me and said, Michael, if 80% of your students fail an assessment, the problem isn't the students. The problem is you. Wow. 100%. Yep. And I yep. said, okay. So <laughs> I remember going back to the kids and they kept bobbing their heads to this you know, song in class as we were rotating and cleaning up. I said, I'm going to make some some content to this. I said, guys, if you actually pass this assessment at 14 to be passed, I'll make you a music video with my Samsung Galaxy S7. I don't even know what I'm doing with it, (laughs) but I'll make you a music video. And, uh, man, they really took it seriously. I retaught the content differently. I was more engaged through whole brain teaching, and I gave the assessment before I know it, 14 passed. I posted the video on Facebook when me and my coworkers went out for a good evening on Friday night. And that <laughs> next morning, I had a thousand shares on Facebook and it just blew up into something that I've never thought would happen. That's what an amazing story. I love, love it. And, <laughs> and so can you tell us what happens after that? Because what happens after that is is mind boggling. Yeah. So we, we post a video and of course it's getting a lot of local attention. Then all of a sudden, I'm taking my kids to lunch one day and we get this phone call in the cafeteria. Hey, Mr. Bonner, you need it to the office. Oh, like boy. what? I made it to You're the in office. trouble. Right. I'm here with my kids. You want oh, so you want me to make them throw their lunch away to come to the office. So I go down to the office and there's Miss Chapman with her lovely smile, the school secretary, and both my administrators, Miss Lakeisha Lynch. And um they were just standing there just looking at me with a smile. And Miss Miss Chapman was like, Hey, somebody's on the phone for you. And I'm like, Is it a is it a parent? Like I don't have time to argue with the parent. Like I got yeah. I'm, I'm I'm hungry. The kids are hungry. And uh man, I pick up the phone and the person says, Hey, this is Courtney from the Ellen DeGeneres show. And the school erupted. I, I, I have the actual video footage, I believe, on my old iPhone inside of my apartment. 
I was completely thrown away. And from there, man, it spiraled to me going on to her show, to NBC Nightly News, to Ashton Kutcher, to Vocabulary, to Front Row. It's just, it's turned into this thing. And since that moment, man, I've been traveling the country and still being a teacher um, full time and just really pushing the message of how important education is. Awesome. God, yeah. amazing. God, amazing. we love that. Yeah. So and anyone who listens regularly to our podcast knows that Glenn and I aren't afraid to dig into the messy topics in yes. education. We've <laughs> covered we've covered inequality. Yes. We've covered we've covered self segregation. Yes. We've we even took a deep dive into school funding with the head of policy from EdBuild. That's a an education an education think tank. Um, but as a former private school teacher, my mm -hmm. personal background in education is super far removed from issues surrounding poverty and homelessness. Right. I, I'd like to frame this question in a way that helps educators, because that's most of our listeners, uh, and including myself, understand this world a little bit better. Okay. What, what do you think educators understand the least about working in these communities? For example, uh, in this context, what advice might you give to a new teacher? If you had a new teacher coming to your school who also didn't have this background mm -hmm. and was working in an environment like the school that you were working at, what do you think you would tell them? What do you think you would share with them about working in a, a Title I school, for example? When individuals grow up in poverty, um, Eric Jensen has a beautiful book on it as well, Teaching with Poverty in Mind. Um, I had to learn, even as an African-American male, in the neighborhood I was teaching in, it was mainly students of color, specifically African-American children. Okay. And oftentimes due to implicit bias in media, we automatically have thoughts towards individuals that come from that environment. And one of the biggest lessons that taught me working at South Greenville Elementary was just because a child comes from poverty or has a lack of resources doesn't mean they're not gifted and have the ability to learn. You have to find different yeah. ways to engage that child and build a relationship with that child Absolutely. before the content yeah. can actually goes through. And oftentimes in education, we're so um, excited about teaching content and we're so excited about, you know, flexible seating in our lesson, you know, Chevron lesson plan notebooks that we don't think about that. There are some children who actually need some love and care. And once yes. you give that to them, they can perform and they can code and they can articulate just as well as anybody else. But when you don't have the basic needs, food, clothing, a shelter, um, you know, you're not going to be as focused. So, Michael, one of the topics you speak about is mm -hmm. teacher quality. Mm -hmm. and the critical attributes that every educator must possess mm -hmm. in order to effectively lead a classroom. So can you share a bit about what are those attributes to our yeah. audience? So there's a guy by the name of Dr. James Johnson from the University of Chapel Hill who actually has this theory called the Browning of America. And what he's essentially okay. saying is the Hispanic population is having twice as many babies as the African-American and the Caucasian population which means that the United States of America is becoming more diverse, whether you like it or not, right? Absolutely. So with that topic, uh, within that speech, I make sure I get educators to understand that we must check our own biases, whether they're implicit or explicit. The second point I always touch on is how are we actually teaching our children and how can we make sure we differentiate our lessons so that every child can have a phenomenal learning experience? And the third point I always touch on is to remind educators of how important we actually are. You know, Oftentimes awesome. we, get, we forget that in this this chaotic world that we're in. <laughs> yes, yes. And we always often receive the opposite message, mm -hmm. especially out in the, uh, in the media. Yes. Um, so something different here, because I mean, one of the most appealing, uh, there's so many appealing things about your story, but for okay. Mike and I, it really, it really struck a chord with us because we both have music in our backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, Mike's dad is, and my brother are both professional musicians. Wow. And uh, we've, both Mike and I play guitar, you know, and do some different things. But yeah. so my question is basically like, tell us about the connection you make between music and your teaching and how important that was or that for is. Me, for me as an educator, if I call myself an educator, that means I must be willing to explore different cultures to make sure that child is having a phenomenal academic experience. And with that, there are certain things within in, in humanity that just automatically brings us closer together. Like how me and Mike were talking about Toronto and, and, and <laughs> automatically a smile. We got a connection, mm -hmm. um, sports, uh, music, food. So for me, music is one of those things that, you know, anybody that has a great playlist when you're riding with them in the car, it's like the conversation goes easier. Right. And I've yes. noticed children today, they're just, they're inside of this and they're submerged inside of um, different types of music. So I tried to use something and switch it around to try to teach through it, use it as an avenue, use music as an avenue. The same way you can use technology as an avenue to get a child to understand something, I use music in that context. And, and students love it. 
They Absolutely. love it. I love it. Teachers love it. I uh, I rave all the time about vocabulary. I used yes. to use it all the time when I was teaching. I I can't get over like the smile and like just the way that kids go mm-hmm. crazy over something like vocabulary is mind boggling. It's yes. I mean that I, I used to teach digital. I was a computer science teacher, so so okay. the the one way that I used vocabulary, there's a great free resource um, made by them that they did with Common Sense Media, and it was about social media and sharing, and it was uh, it was in their style, so it was wow. it was rad it, it wow. i you must you must love tools like that i do i do and i think it's just a beautiful thing when educators can find a way to just become creative i tell people all the time i'm not a rapper <laughs> you guys i i can't i can't rap to save my life but i'll try my best to make yeah. myself appear as awkward as possible to ensure my children <laughs> are having a great experience because right? this is what made it so cool about the video i mean the video we posted i was trying to put things in fat you know normal speed it was like no mr bonner you're old that needs to be in slow motion it looks better a six-year-old <laughs> telling a 20 27 year old that i'm old right so, yeah, yeah, yeah. um it was it was a great moment, man, and and I think music and, and vocabulary is phenomenal, a, a beautiful yeah. resource. Yeah. So you're you're speaking at ISTE this year, and yeah. first, first off, I mean that's a hell of a stage. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, we've both been there, and that's a that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Um, you must be pinching yourself to think you have the opportunity to speak yeah. to so many and share your story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's awesome. We're we're really excited. We'll be there and hopefully we can connect there and shake Love your hand and, and, sure. and say hi. Um, could you give us a little sense? Don't don't spoil the whole thing obviously, <laughs> man, cuz I mean it's a big deal. But right. give us a little sense of what you're going to be talking to us about there. So for the keynote or for the actual morning session for, I'm doing? For the keynote. So for the keynote, I'm Well, you see- can talk about both too. <laughs> I'm going to save the morning session for, <laughs> for, for fun. But no, the cool. keynote, what I really want to do is I want to drive home the concept of legacy. I really want us to begin to understand as educators that every other profession directly is impacted by us. Mm, yeah. um, and once we yeah. fully understand that, and once the world begins to understand that, they'll be a little bit more cautious in how they treat teachers. Oh. And I believe we'll be a little bit more inspired and fired up understanding that we're affecting generations, literally. I can think back to three key teachers for me, man, who were just very influential into me becoming a teacher or me wanting to become a better human being. And because they did that, my children are going to be better because I was inspired by a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And I think Love once it. educators understand that and you infuse that with technology and you infuse that with digital learning and blended learning and all the other resources and things in education, it creates this this moment of excitement like, hey, we can do this and, and we will do this. We will make this world better through education. God, great message. So a fun one now. Here we go. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Uh, so the finals, the NBA finals yes. are on. Uh, nice. I'm I'm Canadian. I live I, I live just a little bit north of Toronto, so obviously you know you know where I uh, lie on this. Okay, um, that's Glenn, good. Glenn, Glenn, Glenn actually did like a super hot take last week and said mm-hmm. that they were going to get swept. So I'm just right right now. I'm proud that the the he's, the he's proud of his just, one win so far. Yes. Right, I'm, I'm happy. But yes. listen, man, it was a, that was a hell of a game. I it mean, was. They, they played really really well it was so what do you it, you haven't seen any of the games yet because i know we've, we've talked about this a little bit what what do you what do you think of the series what do you think of toronto being in the finals like, holy <laughs> I, crap. I'm, I'm really excited about that and when toronto actually uh won with the eastern conference finals beating milwaukee bucks to see the energy in yeah. the streets of toronto people yeah. don't we sort of take things like that for Granted, when we're looking at it through the TV, but being in atmospheres like that will completely charge you up. That's 20, why I love people. Right. I love conferences like that, which is mm-hmm. what ISTE is going to remind me of, right? Yes. But um, I, I really feel good for Toronto if they can make sure their role players play a good job as well. It relates back to education as well. Everybody wants to be Kawhi Leonard, but everybody yeah. can't be Kawhi in the classroom. That's true. You right. need Kyle Lowry. You need, you know, you need Danny Green. You need individuals that can pitch in to make it a really need team. Danny Green. You yes. really need Danny Green to step <laughs> it up. I mean, all the threes possible, right? Uh, but I I feel good for Toronto I really want them to win I'm just the person that uh, I just have a respect for teams that can build themselves up from the bottom and then win something if you've already put together you already have a great system and you're winning I applaud you but I like the I like the underdog underdog. (laughs) I like I like the fight yes I love it too I'm pumped for tonight (laughs) 
<laughs> Please make sure you feel me. I'm gonna follow you guys on Twitter or something. So I'll be looking for oh, updates. Or absolutely, something. man. Well, we're gonna tag I'll send you. you. I'll send so, you DMs all night, man. Exactly. Perfect. Talking Perfect. about that, Michael. If yeah. anybody wants to be able to connect with you or learn more about you, uh, what can where can they go to? Definitely. Um, follow me on Twitter, which is uh, at Michael Bonner underscore. Instagram is the same, at Michael Bonner underscore. And on Facebook, it's Michael Bonner dash Bonnerville. Um, I'm pretty active on all of them. I'm starting to now, starting now to understand uh, the different mediums of social media. So yes. for Facebook, mm-hmm. I, I put, you know, all the videos and pictures of my kids because there's a huge audience on Facebook. On Instagram, for me, it's more visual. Mm-hmm. Um, so people like to see what kind of things are going on. And Twitter, I've learned, is more for discussion. So mm-hmm. I've told myself, um, by the end of this month, I want to make sure I just get into deeper discussions on Twitter. I get a lot of my research-based article from Twitter. Um, there's a lot of phenomenal hashtags to follow on Twitter. Sure. Um, so I would love to connect with people. Let's do that. Awesome. Yes. Amazing. We actually, I've been thinking a lot about TikTok. Have you seen this app called TikTok? I have not. And I'm glad you said that. I'm going to get a pen right now. <laughs> T-I-K-T-O-K, TikTok. TikTok? I think, oh, I, TikTok. TikTok. Yes. Yeah. It actually- might be. That might be your jam, man. I think that you could do some cool things with music. Like it's a, yeah. it's definitely there's a lot of like music and yeah. dancing on TikTok. Yeah. I mean, if you, I, I think edu TikTok could be a thing. It really and, could. And and it's, I think that you could you could Bonnerville could make, a, Bonnerville make a big splash on TikTok. It's crazy. I actually mentioned uh, because before TikTok it was musically, and mm-hmm. I actually mentioned that it's going to be talked about in the morning session. Just man, how can we make education better? So yeah, I'm a fan of it. I'm nice. a fan. Awesome. Of it. Rad, rad, awesome, uh, Michael. Thanks mm-hmm. for thanks for joining us. This has been very, very cool. Uh, Mike said uh, Michael's at ISTE, and hopefully you all come and see him there. Thanks again for joining us, man. Definitely, it's my pleasure, man. I hope to see everybody there so we can have a phenomenal time. And I'm excited. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or on the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.